Welcome to Drone Futures, a series about how drones are reshaping how the world is perceived, how people are governed, and how power is enacted and resisted. I'm Dr. Michael Richardson, a researcher on drones, war and culture at the University of New South Wales. Drone Futures is recorded on the unceded lands of the Bedigal people. We acknowledge and pay our respects to Elders past and present and express our solidarity with the movements for Black and Indigenous lives. In this bonus episode, we're sharing a discussion with J.D. Schnepf, Assistant Professor of American Studies at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. Jen Schnepf gave a talk titled Ecological Crisis and the Rise of Drone Humanitarianism in October 2020 at the Media Futures Hub. This is the Q&A that followed, conducted live on Zoom with questions offered by the audience via chat. Um, is, there an, is there an otherwise for the humanitarian drone? Like under the framework and the discourse that you've set out, is, is there an alternative um, possibility? Yeah, I think uh, this is sort of one of the one of the interesting overarching questions. The thing I'm I'm sort of interested in is shifting what we mean by by drone. So shifting what we mean by human, humanitarian drone um, to make sure that we're sort of considering um, the infrastructures that are are supporting it. Um, and when I'm thinking about an otherwise, I think that that otherwise has to include um, infrastructures that could you know, that we could imagine existing outside of global capital. Um, so I do think it's a it's a tall order because I think in in some ways, regardless of of the purposes to which these these drones are are put, I'm just sort of mindful that that it does seem like there is a real sort of advantage to framing them as as good or life-saving right that 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 um is something that i think we actually have to get out of right so i don't i don't know if we can keep calling them humanitarian drones and have have an otherwise right um so it would it would sort of involve a, a systematic critique um of of the way that drones are embedded in society right rather than just thinking about um the drones on their own I think that leads in quite well into a question from the chat from um, Adam Fish, who asks, um, are there examples um, of the use of humanitarian or ecological drones that are not frameable by the four points that you've laid out? Like, are there things that exist outside this, this framework? Yeah, so I mean, my, my, I will say that the, the sort of research I was interested in was very much focused on the um, southern United States and, and this particular case of um, natural disaster and emergency responsiveness, right? Um, and I do, like, for example, I do think this, this idea of um, the heroic drone operator exhibiting, um, you know, sort of a, a white middle-class masculinist um, character is, is, you know, in a lot of ways very much tied to American culture, right? So, so this is a very, um, uh, situated analysis, and I, I would expect that other other cultures might have different different ways of of thinking about or or framing some of this. Um, you know, and I, I'm I'm thinking in particular that that there, you know, I I think I've seen examples of of drones being used to protect wildlife in this, and this is I should sort of 
um, also note that when I'm talking about the preservation of wildlife, um, I'm, I'm drawing on work by Pooja Rangan, who calls um, this, this framing of animal welfare humanitarian intervention. So um, I'm sort of thinking about life across humanitarian and humanitarian, humanitarian, so I wanted to introduce that. But, but this sort of idea of um, protecting protecting animals um, can, can often be um, sort of depicted in, in maternal terms, right? Um, that, that that can sort of be gendered um, quite explicitly as a, as a kind of care labor. Um, and so I think that, uh, yeah, that there, there are certainly going to be um, situations. Um, I'd be really curious to hear, hear um, other situations that are coming to mind for people in the chat. Um, about, about other ways that humanitarian drones are being depicted. Um, but anyway, yeah, I think that there are definitely going to be examples outside of this, but these were sort of my initial, my initial thoughts about, about the ways that drone use for humanitarian purposes in the Southern United States anyway, is sort of um, doing the work of shoring up um, neoliberal ideas about you know, self-enterprising individuals. Um, it's doing the work of um, propping up the heroic uh, drone operator. And, and I wanted to contrast that with some of what I'm seeing in the primary sources, right? So, so the very fact that we have these amazing YouTube videos, I think they're there. And that's why I sort of said that they're a, they're a resource for us because I think we don't quite understand, you know, there's something very like post-apocalyptic about them, um, which would seem to sort of challenge a lot of these popular myths we get about, about the kind of um, uh, ways drones can save us. So um yeah, so I do think that that probably outside of this context, there are um, other other framings that would be um, important to consider too. Thanks. It's a really interesting question, I think, and and this is like sort of versions of this com uh, question are, are conversations that Adam and I have had um, actually um, uh, over some time now. And um, one, one interesting example would be um, organizations like We Robotics. Um, who are uh, you know they're based in based in um, uh, I want to say Switzerland, but they're working with groups like local groups on the ground um, throughout the global south, mostly throughout the global south. Um, and you know they have a like what is a fairly traditional developmental model in some ways, but like applied to applied to drones as a kind of like you know new business kind of uh, mix mm -hmm. of different different things that people can do, right? And and um, in, in many ways, like the work that they're doing is is very optimistic, you know, and it has and it has like this this kind of positive charge to it, and they certainly see their work as like empowering and and um, and building capacity and so on. And I think it's a really interesting question about like um, you know how much that's the case, and uh, and then how much things can be both at once, perhaps, which is part of problematic systems, but also. Um, really helpful technologies and and opportunities for who you know might be um, lacking in certain ways and so you know like yeah I mean you um, is it ideal maybe not but perhaps there are some positives there as well and I think and so I'm sort of struck in some ways like it's really hard I think in drone studies research in general um, although it really is starting to change to step outside of a, a framework that is dominated by American imperial framing yeah. right um it's 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 actually difficult to do and like 
and if that's your object if that's your objective analysis that's like totally fine right but like there um you know i could say that when i started thinking about a lot of this stuff i was sort of reflect reflexively imposing those those same frameworks and it does require that sort of situated approach um to to, to begin to think outside them um also um in the chat um aaron de rosa has asked um uh, if you've encountered moments in which this pivot towards the drone as humanitarian has changed the kind of military or security state drone discourse. Yeah. Hi, Aaron. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. Uh, nice to see you. Um, so I think that's a that's such a good question um, because I think that I've been I've been tracking the opposite dynamic, right? So I've been I've been really curious. Um, about the ways that domestic cultures are sort of revealing um, the traces of um, U.S. imperialism, uh, and I think that that we can we can flip it um, in the case of this pivot to the humanitarian drone, changing the the military um, and security state drone discourse. I'm thinking, for example, of the way uh, that drones have been used on the U.S.-Mexico border as a uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, like it's 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 so sort of frightening and, and fascinating to see the way uh, the U.S. state talks about um, the project of securing that border, right? Um, so this idea that um, securing the U.S. border is going to, in turn, benefit the lives of Americans. Right in a in a very sort of like material way, right? And and in that case, there's sort of this this idea that there's this sort of like racist racist idea that we need to keep others out of the country in order to to protect the like jobs of people within the United States. But there's something really interesting there, I think, in the way that that language around protecting the U.S. Mexico border it's very much uh, indebted to. Um, you know, military ways of looking, military militarized ways of of tracking bodies, right? But it's all being sort of explicitly um, spoken about in terms of this idea that that um, there's a sort of interest in civic well-being at the end of the day, right? So this this is maybe a bit of a a bit of a shift in the way we think about humanitarianism, but I think I'm I'm interested in that, right? That there's this there's this sort of dramatic versions of um, humanitarian rescue, right? Where, where the well-being of, of humans is sort of front, front and center as a matter of life and death. But I do think that the US does use this idea of um, the well-being of American citizens, right? In, in sort of maybe less dramatic ways, right? Like your ability to make a living, your ability to, to sort of have a job as a a thing that the security state is actively working to preserve and protect for you um, through the militarized securing of the borders. So I think those. I think there's a there's a interplay there that's really interesting. Um, yeah, I would add too that the military discourse around drones, at least once they become kind of public, um, mm -hmm. uh, you know, shortly after the war on terror, is is in some ways a humanitarian one to begin with around you know a continuation of of rhetoric of precision. Um, and mm -hmm. you know surgical accuracy and so on and um, and of course yeah a protection for um, you know U.S. Um, soldiers like U.S. soldiers will now not be risked um, right and and also win-win um, you know will be more accurate and there'll be less collateral damage and so on and so forth um, 
so that I th yeah, I think they're I think they're deeply interconnected in in lots of ways that's yet to be teased out. Um, I want to pick up uh, um, a, qu a question from earlier from um, Catherine um, Brimblecombe Fox in the who's who said, um, "Do you think that the term dual use?" Um, is embedded in traditional notions of military operations that actually disguise the potential militarizability of all signal reliant drones um, and other tech. So, do I guess do um, uh, does this does the 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 language that the drones have this um, dual um, civilian or dual humanitarian military use kind of uh, lift up the drone um, in a way that kind of hides or obscures perhaps the way so many technologies are actually readily militarizable like they or, or come from the military or could could rapidly be converted to or, or used as tools of surveillance or whatever it, it does seem like there's that these technologies there's something sort of interesting about trying to parse their relationships to their own histories of becoming right so i think that there's something um interesting there about the the way that yeah, that that it's it's that you have to sort of perform this kind of like back formation to like go back to early sort of like DARPA funded projects in order to sort of find the militarization of technologies when I think, um, you know, like you, you can also perform that kind of analysis through other means, right, that the um, you can imagine this sort of uh, militarizability um, that Catherine's um, talking about as a, a feature or a, a formation that's that's latent in a lot of our technology and again I think that's just a product um, too of like global capitalism and and the sort of search for markets right um, if, if it's unregulated then it's it's not clear why a company wouldn't right sort of seek to expand its applicability applicability across markets including the military industrial um, one, so. Maybe there's some connections to the next question, which comes from my um, friend and colleague, Tara McLennan. Um, Tara's asked, um, it'd be interesting to hear more about the ways that media archaeology, um, archaeology connects to the history of consuming the land for profit. So how would you say this mediated gaze from above speaks to the ways we consume the land in this moment? And what does this say about the trajectory of visual consumption um, of landscapes? And um, Adam adds on top of that, um, uh, what do the drone companies get for privatizing um, conservation, um, which, I, which, you know, has a, has, has a related question around, um, around consumption? Yeah, no, these are, these are sort of great questions that, that are, um, um, have become uh, really interesting uh, to me, I think, as I've pursued this um, line of inquiry. So um, I initially started thinking about the drone uh, in domestic settings uh, as part of my, my work. And, and one of the things I sort of realized is that I had two projects, that one project was very much invested in uh, unpacking the way that, that femininity, a certain kind of, of 21st century entrepreneurial feminism, but also conventional notions of femininity, you know, propping up and also being perpetuated by um, contemporary U.S. imperialism. But the other thing that started happening in this project, right, is that that I found cases, right, where femininity obviously isn't sort of um, central to them, right, like this, this talk today being one of them, but that nevertheless had to do with the domestic use of drones and that's still related in really sort of fascinating ways to um, imperialist projects, I think, right, like through through the sort of um, uh, discursive 
uh, project of making live in this case. So in addition to thinking about the particular case um, that I shared with you today, uh, I've also um, been very interested in what Tara talks about, this sort of idea of consuming the land for profit by thinking about um, the way the gaze participates in thinking about land and um, the environment as uh, extractable. In this case, I'm thinking about things like the Dakota Access Pipeline and the uh, aluminum industry, and more recently, I've been interested in the hydropower of uh, dams. Um, and one of the things that I'm thinking about uh, is that this this idea of using the mediated gaze of the drone and and the consumption of the land or or the idea of extraction is I actually think that that drones in in some ways are not only you know something we should think of as a as a surveillance infrastructure but but something we should think of as as a component of the extractive infrastructures um and and here i'm thinking like quite specifically like i'm i'm still like doing this research but um in in ontario canada for example uh oil pipelines are monitored by drones Right, and the thing that's interesting about that, uh, and and these these private companies are very careful about it. But what they're talking about is um, protecting the pipelines from, um, you know, I guess I guess forms of like natural degradation, but also uh, vandalism, right? And a, a similar sort of language gets used in India when uh, power companies are talking about the way that. Uh, drones are again helping monitor these um, extractive infrastructures and, and one of the things that they talk about is that the drone and its surveillance capabilities are very handy um, to find people who are poaching electricity from the system right and so so there is really a sort of like consolidation um, I think uh, when you think about the way, a way the mediated gaze of of the drone turns back into its sort of surveillance self, which is to say, like starts looking for people, right? And um, in its its project of looking for like vandals or thieves, right? It turns once again into a kind of you know sort of like a a, a way of um, stabilizing and, and perpetuating class divisions. Um, and so you you do get this idea of capitalists hoarding, conserving resources, right? And then parceling that out to consumers. Yeah, I'm really interested in, in this conversation about um, the way that um, consuming the land for profit is developing in relation to our surveillance technologies, because I, I think that it's actually much more complicated than I initially <laughs> that I initially thought. And I'll just sort of like tag on to this at the end to say that I think like part of what's fascinating about um, the the case of um, drone humanitarianism and public rescue uh, for me is the way that it's also extracting human emotion. Right. So in the case of the of the drone operators, they've ex extracted labor, right, that the, the state uh, rather than have the state sort of like handle that work, um, you've taken time and money away from from people who now sort of volunteer that. 
And I think uh, just to answer Adam's question about the, the privatizing, uh, what do drone companies get for privatizing conservation? I think that um, uh, another case I'm really interested in is, as I sort of mentioned, is, is the, the use of um, private companies going into uh, public lands in Africa in order to um, help with poaching. <laughs> um, that's, that's part of the project. Um, I think that, that at a sort of larger scale, if we zoom out, um, I'm interested in the idea of what's called natural security, which is just to say that, that the US government, um, I think two, two years ago, maybe two summers ago, had a sort of explicit conversation um, with uh, private companies, private technology companies in order to argue that securing animals in Africa is important to U.S. state security. And, and the sort of backstory of that argument is that animal poaching, particularly the idea of ivory and the ivory trade in, in Africa, um, is going to fund terrorist organizations. So there's a sort of interesting uh, connection there, right? But if we, if the idea being that animal conservation is necessary to pr preserve U.S. security, so there's very like self-interested um, things going on there in addition to obviously um, uh, opening markets, opening new markets for, for, you know, really like a number of startups on the West Coast of America have, have sort of infiltrated um, this, this space of conservation um, in Africa. And you have to think about like, you know, how, is, how and why is that happening? So. Yeah, those are great questions. Yeah, I was thinking um, as you were talking as well about um, <clears throat> they're not all images from drones, but but Edward Batinsky's um, photography of of extractive landscapes um, and the mm -hmm. way he kind of uses the view from above. And uh, there's a kind of unsettling tension in in those images because in a certain like on the one hand, um, Batinsky's work shows us the scale um, mm -hmm. of environmental devastation, and on the other hand. Um, there is it is interesting to be positioned in that in that um, seemingly omniscient view from above as the point of critique, um, and in some ways, like he is extracting he extracts the aesthetic from the the ruin of of of, envir of the environment, and of course, like it is meant to be raising awareness and increasing kind of um, activism and understanding and so on around the. Uh, climate change issues and I think but I think that 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 is this unsettling tension with the drone and it's and it's use um and it's use in activism because it clearly does have you know there are loads of cases of of, of it having a kind of surveillance um capacity or a aestheticizing capacity that can be really powerful in terms of in terms of critique but yeah how we how we reckon with and resolve those kinds of tensions is a difficult question I'm going to um just finish with one more question um that uh, Chris Agius has asked in the in the chat which is that um you know she says that she's really glad to hear more about um, a gendered take on all of this and especially the idea of maternalism and animals. Um, mm -hmm. And how far can we take that analysis when applied elsewhere? And she's thinking of things like domestic policing, UN peacekeeping and, and so on. Um, and, and just noting that, you know, how liberal feminism um, returns us to a militarized um, approach in so many different contexts. This is work that I've been doing for a while that I I completely think needs to be explored because it is such a such a rich site. For me, gender and femininity in particular are really 
driving a lot of um, what I think is happening. And I'll just pick up on, on one of the threads that she mentioned. I, I, I'm very much interested in, in this idea of home security systems, right? And the way that, that drones, for example, like now align themselves. Uh, this just came out, I think, with, with Amazon, right? But this idea of a drone that's going to go through the interior of your house and sort of... Um, the ring drone. Uh, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So there's, there's, um, right, there's the, the camera that sits at your front door. And now there's a sort of like floating camera that's going to um, stop intruders. And, you know, for me, obviously, uh, I think it's important to recognize that these are technologies designed to secure a certain insulated vision of domestic space, uh, this sort of idea that that this should be something that is um, separate from the world outside, um, that this should be a, a space where, you know, the heteronormative family can sort of reside and be buffered from the world. But I, I do think that you can't, you can't extract that idea of sort of protecting the domestic sphere without thinking about these technologies of home surveillance as anything other than extensions of the the racist US carceral state, right? Because we know things like, like and Simone Brown has said this, but things like um, the ring drone um, or the ring, the ring surveillance technology that watches um, your front door is a, is a technology that uh, has been uh, made available to police departments, right? So police departments can get access to those, those videos. Um, I've, I've asked uh, for confirmation that those, the videos of the drones that are going through the interior of the home, whether or not those are also being made available to police, um, but there's no reason to think that they, they wouldn't be either right now or in the future. Right. And so you, you do have this really pervasive way that this idea of the U.S. carceral system has just completely wrapped itself up with, with the domestic sphere in the 21st century. Right. Like those, those two things really have started to mutually reinforce one another. And so, yeah, like to, to me, it's, it's completely sort of gendered in the sense that there's an appeal to a sort of white femininity as the, the thing that's being um, secured and, and protected when we're thinking about what those home surveillance systems are up to, even though that's not necessarily explicitly stated, it's all almost always implied um, in the way, the way those um, products are sold. So yeah, that's a great question. We're basically out of time. Um, so I'll leave this as a kind of rhetorical question that Tara's posed, which is then what does it mean to have this visual disconnect from having one's feet on the ground, a view that breaks away from the phenomenological experience of the human body? And I would say that, you know, for me, and, and I, I suspect for you and, and uh, for a number of people who are tuning into the talk, that that question is is one of the the overarching things that drives our interest in this um, in this particular um, technological infrastructure. So thanks everybody. We'll have to leave it there. And we're, we're already actually a little over time, which I think speaks to the richness of um, Jen's talk and also um, the fantastic questions and discussion. And that's it for another episode of Drone Futures, a limited series on the Media Futures podcast. For more info about the Drone Futures series, visit us at www.mediafutureshub.org. Please rate, review and subscribe. It really does help new listeners find us and spread the word too. Special thanks to our producer, the talented Cara Jensen-McKinnon and to our research assistant, the brilliant Madeleine Weber. 
This podcast was made possible by funding from the Australian Research Council. Thanks for listening. Stay safe and we'll be with you again soon.